Hello, welcome to our service today. Um, my name's Lloyd, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, we're glad that you're joining with us in this online format. So wherever you are, whenever you're watching, it's great to have you with us today. You join us at the end of a series on Ecclesiastes. It's taken us umpteen sermons and we took a break halfway through because of uh, the inconvenience of a global pandemic, but we arrive here now at the end. The beginning and the end of a book often take on greater significance, especially with something seeking to impart advice. It summarizes what's gone before and leaves us with the so what, how then should, should we live? In the UK, uh, we don't have the same culture of graduations and commencements, uh, co commencement speeches as it seems to be the case in North America. I finished high school in 1999, so you can work out my age, and the closest thing I got to a commencement speech was from a song from 1997. It was a song called Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen by Baz Luhrmann. I'm not sure if you have heard of it. He starts like this. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 97, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. And so music kicks in and you realize it's like a commencement address put to music. Life advice in short form, such as floss, dance, stretch, sing, and longer examples such as be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts and recycling it for more than it's worth. And he finishes off um, with his clincher, the advice to end all advice, but trust me, on the sunscreen. At the end of Ecclesiastes, we get a summary and a conclusion at the end of this book of wisdom, akin to this end from that song, an attempt to summarize and to conclude and to send us on our way to give us advice for life and how we should live it under God and under the sun. So as we start, why don't we have a moment of prayer? Lord, we come before you and confess that we need you. Uh, we need you to speak to us. We need you to um, be the one who uh, grants us wisdom. Uh, we can feel wise in our own eyes at times, but Lord, we realize from Ecclesiastes um, that the wisdom comes uh, from you. And so as uh, the book concludes, would you allow uh, what is of you to, to stick in our heart, to be burned um, into our very uh, beings, that it might change us and mould us into the people that you want us to be, how you want us to live. So we ask that your spirit uh, would do that in our midst and in our lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So at the end of Ecclesiastes, we get a summary and a conclusion um, at the end of this book of wisdom. We have two points uh, from Ecclesiastes 12, 9 to 14. The first is uh, the summary 
of wisdom. And the second is the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. So let's look at the summary of wisdom. Verse 9 says this, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. In this epilogue or afterward or whatever you'd like to call it, uh, the preacher is no longer uh, talking to us, but is actually being talked about, just like at the beginning. So it kind of frames the whole book. We have this editor who affirms the preacher's teaching and who bigs the preacher up as not only being wise, but who used this wisdom to teach other people knowledge. We are told of the preacher's process too. He weighs, he studies, he arranges many proverbs, and these are done with great care, we are told. And so the preacher is affirmed as being wise, and his process is affirmed as being careful. I think this is helpful because as we've read through Ecclesiastes, perhaps you've thought to yourself, this book is, is rather confusing. It's quite uh, paradoxical. It's rather random at times. Does it all fit together? We are to believe that Ecclesiastes was arranged with great care. Wisdom literature in general is, is not tidy. It makes use of contradictions to make us think and to reflect on reality, um, the reality of an often contradictory life. And so an example I can give from Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, verse 4 to 5 is this. Here are a couple of verses that stand next to each other. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Answer a fool or not? Well, it depends. Have a think about it. That's what we're invited to do with contradictory statements like these. They teach us, but they also um, reflect real life. And I think that feels true of Ecclesiastes. This sense of the world being disordered and frustrating is seen in the very structure of Ecclesiastes, or rather in its absence of any coherent and definable structure. You see, there has been a multicolored confusion of, of types of material in this book, all jumbled together, mishmashed together, prose, proverbs, poetry, anecdotes, moral tales, uh, kingly reflections, and other reflections too. And the confused and repetitive structure portrays the confused and repetitive way in which people uh, often experience life. But here we're told they have been carefully arranged. There's method to the madness. While the structure of the book is rather disordered, there have been phrases repeated throughout the book that help us to see some of the order. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Enjoy life. What gain is there in all the toil under the sun? The nature and process of wisdom is complex, just like life. And we see this in the following verses too. Firstly, we have words of delight. Verse 10 says this, the preacher sought to find words of delight. Secondly, continuing in verse 10, and he uprightly wrote words of truth. And often we see beauty and delight uh, to be the opposite of uprightness or truth. Yet this is what the, the preacher has been seeking to do, to, to bring words of delight and words of truth together. We also see that these words are goads words that challenge, direct, and that sting, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. 
We think of goads um, as an action. We goad someone into a reaction. But first of all, it's a, a thing. A sharpened stick used to guide animals. Walking along as a sheep or as a, as a, as a cow, you think, oh, I think I'll just go this way. Suddenly, a sharp jab. No, you won't. The shepherd, uh, the person who's looking after the livestock, move you in a certain direction. Well, the words of the wise are like goads. And nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Goads with nails. What an interesting way to describe the nature of wisdom. You see, wisdom can be painful. It can be demanding. It can sting like crazy. But it's to make you go the right way, to shepherd you in the right direction. I wonder how you've reacted as we've gone through Ecclesiastes. If you've hated it, I wonder if the reflection is, um, what is the challenge there for you? If you've loved it, in what ways are you to be shepherded uh, by uh, the preacher, by the book, by uh, God through this, um, this book? Wisdom as words of delight, truth, words as goads, and words that can be endlessly tiring. Verse 12 says this, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. You might have heard of um, the Encyclopedia uh, Britannica. They are a set of hardback, heavy-duty encyclopedias sold to parents at great cost for the promise of an educated future for all who read this set of uh, encyclopedias. It was irresistible even for my parents who were very careful with their money and when I was growing up. I'm sure uh, that these encyclopedias came to Canada because I read recently that Mike Myers' dad, uh, Austin Powers' dad, uh, was an immigrant from Liverpool and he was a salesman of these uh, encyclopedias in Ontario. And I think they demonstrate uh, this point that the, the, the preacher is making here well. Of the making of many books, there is no end. These books and books and books and books that are dotted all around the world, probably, uh, in the bookshelves of, of families, they become historical artifacts of what was believed when they were published. But in our house, they were actually just expensive decorations. We only got rid of them uh, last year when we were clearing out certain uh, things in our living room. They had been part of the furniture for 25 years, gathering dust. The point is made in this verse. Not that books and study are bad, but that it's tiring and it's demanding. Wearying is not a negative term here, but it's just a fact of, of study, of that endeavor to, to learn more. And like wisdom, studying and books are, are good, but they're actually ultimately limited. And so we see this summary of what's gone on before and what wisdom is. And as we come to the final verses of Ecclesiastes, we come to the sunscreen. Trust me, on the sunscreen, we come to the conclusion of Ecclesiastes in verse 13 and 14. The last couple of verses feel like a summarizing conclusion to a book that seems hard to summarize and to conclude. It feels like to me that a story told by uh, Viktor Frankl 
uh, a Jewish survivor of the Holocaust who developed a form of psychotherapy out of his time um, in surviving concentration camps. He tells of a naive young man who approached him uh, as he was going on to give a little seminar on the meaning of life. The young man said to him, hey, Frankel, um, don't be angry with me. I've been invited to my future in-laws tonight and I really have to go and I can't stay for your lecture. Please be so kind and tell me quickly, what is the meaning of life? I'm sure Viktor Frankl must have had a lot more patience than I would have done with that question. There might have been a bash to the nose from me. But it's hard to summarize difficult things. Meaning of life, it's a question that can't be summarized in a short, catchy slogan that, that, that Viktor Frankl could just give to this young man before he went off to dinner with his in-laws. It can't be captured in a number uh, like 42, as we're led to believe. Well, it's same uh, it's the same with this book, Ecclesiastes. It's hard to summarize. But the editor, kindly and bravely and for our good, goes for it. And what he says is important because it's the last thing that's said. It's a final call. It's what we will remember. He's saying, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. It's important because wisdom is about living. It's supposed to be practical because we need to know how to live. And if we've come to the end of Ecclesiastes and we are unchanged and our lives are unchanged, then something has gone wrong. He summarizes and concludes like this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So here's a summary. Fear God, keep his commandments. Fear God, keep his commandments. How does that make you feel, I wonder? Oh, great. No pressure then. Fear God, keep his commandments. I've got enough things to fear, thank you very much. Enough things I need to do. This feels like too much. Fear God. This has been repeated six uh, times throughout Ecclesiastes. Fear of God is the foundation of a relationship to God. The commentator Sidney Gradanus says this, to fear God is not to be terrified of God, but to stand in awe of him. God is the almighty creator, we are mere creatures. God is eternal, we are a finite vapor. God is sovereign, we are dependent. God is holy, we are sinners. It is only fitting that we stand in awe of the almighty eternal creator God. To fear God is to take God seriously to acknowledge him in our lives as the highest good, to revere him, to honor him, and to center our lives on him, end quote. To fear God is to see him in his rightful place that puts us in our place. And in that humble posture, we experience the drip, dripping of wisdom that comes, as it says in Proverbs. It's the beginning of wisdom to fear the Lord. It all means uh, an encounter coming face to face with the Lord God, whose brightness is so bright, whose beauty is so beautiful, whose majesty is so majestic, that the instinctive reaction is to bow, to get on our knees. It's so terrifyingly delightful, fearfully wonderful, powerfully beautiful, that it makes us tremble in awe. This only comes through a real encounter with the living God. We can't manufacture this. And so the fear of God doesn't mean this kind of servile, um, cringing 
fear of punishment. It means an inner attitude of awe and respect and reverence, trembling joy before the greatness of God. It's a new attitude and perspective with which to do everything. It's not a step of four steps on how to be wise, eight steps on wisdom and becoming who you want to be. No, it's, it's more a set of lenses to look through. Fearing God is a set of lenses to look through. And as a set of lenses, as glasses, um, shape how we see. There are some people who hate the thought of wearing glasses uh, and, and when they get glasses, when they're forced to have glasses, they need to learn that lenses are only practical if we have them on the whole time. And so if fear, to fear God is, is the attitude, the perspective then, then what is the action? Well, it's to keep his commands. We show that we fear God by keeping his commandments. Fear of the Lord expresses the knowledge of the will of God in that it entails both awareness of it and wholehearted response to it. It's humility to accept God's revelation, to know what he's revealed as good and to love and to trust him in that. Moses elsewhere in the Old Testament likewise connects fear of God with love and obedience to his commands. He says in Deuteronomy 10, 12, 13, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with your God and with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. You see, the commandments are there for our good. We can jar with this. This can jar with us. We don't like commandments. We want to be free to do whatever we want to do. Historically, there have been uh, three um, uses of the law that have been described. One is to show the holiness of God and our sin. Second is to restrain evil in our society. And thirdly, to show us the good way to live. And this is being emphasized here, that third way. You see, rather than the law being an ogre or a troll uh, stopping us from crossing a bridge, the law is more like someone welcoming us to cross the bridge and being our guide to the land, showing us the beauty of the land and, and life that's there. And that's the first of the reasons we are given for fearing God and keeping his commandments, that it's for our good, that it's um, out of um, our duty of mankind. And duty is not actually in the original language there. Um, it's kind of added to kind of make sense um, of the sentence, but it's saying literally, this is all of humanity. It's to fear God and to keep his commandments. This is all of humanity. This is what we're made for. It's our essential task. It's what we're designed for. And so a commentator has said, to fear God and keep his commandments is the whole man, the very best and fullest way of being human of being fully human, is to, to follow uh, God's commands, to fear him and to follow his commands. Another commentator says, if man wants to have wholeness, he must begin with God. So that's the first reason. It's what we're designed for. And the second reason and motivation is this. We see the two um, appearances of four in that passage. The second four is this. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
And so everything will be brought into judgment in our lives. There's been a record button that was pushed on when we were born into this world, and it will only be stopped um, at the end of our lives. And it's not just what we've done or even what we've said, but it's the inner monologue that's going on inside of us and in our heads. We'll be judged on all of it. And from the perspective of this book, I think this kind of makes sense as a boundary, as a, as a way to kind of see uh, fearing God. You see, if wisdom is not um, black and white as we would like it to be, but actually ref requires reflection and decision to see what is wise for, for me as opposed to you or him or her, then this is important because wisdom isn't a formula. It requires deeper formation because God's commandments don't cover all the situations in life. We need to realize that judgment that will come for all that we do, good or evil, can be a part of the motivation for us. It can move us to fear God first and foremost. But we're not to double down and be legalistic with this, to create rules, uh, to enforce regulations, as I think we tend to do when we don't know exactly what we should be doing when reflection is needed. But we're called to fear God and to keep his commands, to see that as um, a motivator for us um, in order uh, to, to, to rightly fear him, to keep that uh, relationship at the forefront of how we live. And so that's the summary of Ecclesiastes, fear God and keep his commands. So what does that mean for us today? Fear God, keep his commands, that remains our whole task. It's simple in one way, really hard in another way. And also from our vantage point today, something has changed. Our call is, is, is different. We have been told that the words of the wise are given by one shepherd. And today we see that that shepherd has come. We get hints of it in our passage. Uh, the only other two times um, in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament where one shepherd is used is in Ezekiel, and it refers to the, the son of David, the David who is to come in the future. And so this shepherd comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word of God, the wisdom of God, and he is the good shepherd. He says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's in John uh, chapter 10. As Jesus lays down his life, something happens that changes everything. He takes on the judgment for sin on the cross. He lays down his life to death and on the cross bears the weight of judgment of the sin of the whole world. A millstone is tied to his neck and he is cast into the sea of judgment and death. And at the bottom, he bears the pressure and the weight and the judgment of evil. He took it on himself. He took it on himself so that you and, and I would no longer have to. And so it changes our fear. Perhaps you fear God with dread. 
Ray Ortland, the pastor, says this. One kind of fear is that fear that shrinks from the Lord in dread, that cowers from him and turns away from him in terror as if he were our problem. If you are not in Christ, you fear the Lord in all the wrong ways and you don't fear him enough. You're headed to judgment for all your good and evil and you will bear that weight yourself. All good and evil recorded from the day you were born to the day you will die. All the monologue in your head there to be judged, laid for all to see. And in that predicament, you will be all that you have without Jesus. All you have in this life and all you have in the next. But there's a but. We are offered the words of a shepherd. Not only that, we are offered at the shepherd himself. Yes, the words of wisdom of a shepherd who wants to guide our lives into wisdom, but even more, who lays down his life for you and life for me who takes the judgment that I deserve on himself, that you deserve, so that we do not need to bear that anymore. And he invites us to come to him, to shelter in him, to find welcome in him, to find shepherding in him. Simply to turn to him, knowing that he receives us. Would you do that? And what we are welcomed into is a new kind of posture, fear of the Lord. We fear the Lord in a new way, this is what those who are in Christ are to have, reverence, wonder, and gratitude. Eugene Peterson, a professor, a pastor, he describes a fear of the Lord as a posture of living the spiritual life. He says this, we deliberately interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to God, place ourselves intentionally in sacred space, in sacred time, in the holy presence, and wait. We become silent and still in order to listen and respond to what is other than us. Once we get the hang of this, we find that this can occur any place and any time. Fear of the Lord is not studying about God, but living in reverence before him. We don't so much lack knowledge, we lack reverence, end quote. So we fear the Lord in a new way. We fear that we might grieve the one who loves us so. This wholesome fear, the Bible says, is, is a teachable humility. It's an openness to doing God's will. It's a simple, practical obedience to, to God's word and to his leading. These final verses say this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments as you live the day-to-day -day life. Your moment-by-moment -moment decisions. This is what it means to walk in wisdom in a disordered and confusing world. In this season of life, in this pandemic, in phase three in our province, there is lots that is unknown. There's potentially lots to fear, lots that requires wisdom and care, thinking about our, our, our health, our lives, of, uh, of racism, of, of freedom, of, of justice, how we navigate uh, the gray areas, the difficult areas, the, the, the contentious areas um, in our lives as a society today. And we're to dig deep. This is the challenge of, of this new attitude and perspective with which we do everything. Uh, this fearing of God, the fear of the Lord posture uh, is a set of lenses to look through, uh, to see 
um, all these difficult things, all these challenging things, uh, not as something to be overcome or to be um, uh, wrapped up and put into a box, but to be lived through with fear of God, fear of the Lord shaping us, being the lenses with which we see um, how we live. Another way to put it is Psalm 16, uh, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. The psalmist is saying, my secret is that I live my life keeping the greatness of God always before me. I always think of his glory and love and power and I let who he is control and affect me at all times. I live in light of him. That's what it means to, to have it as a set of lenses, as something with which we look through. The greatness of God is, is always before us. And so this fear of the Lord, nurtured in worship, corporate worship and in personal prayer, in silence and quiet, love and sacrifice, turns everything that we do into a life of breathing God. What would it look like for you to keep the greatness of God before you so that you live this with God life? For the greatness of God, the light of God, uh, to be what is always before you. You see, friends, the reality on offer is this. When we fear God, something changes about our other fears. Here's a quote from Oswald Chambers. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Let me say that again. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. What would it take for you to live this fear of the Lord life? To have that be what shapes all your other fears and all your other concerns, even in this difficult season, that it would allow uh, you to, to do the right thing, to um, hold on to the truths that are important, even in a disorientated and disordered time as we live in. So the end of Ecclesiastes is an invitation to the rest of our lives to see life through this lens. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of mankind. Even better than sunscreen, this is wisdom for the rest of our lives. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of mankind.